Hello, in today's show, urgent humanitarian needs in Afghanistan after the Taliban takeover, the devastating aftermath in Quakehead, Haiti, and how the UN Health Agency is helping to snub out potentially deadly Marburg virus in Guinea. All this and more in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson, and Solange Bejotegui-Cortez. Thanks for listening. First, the news with Katie Dartford. This is the news in brief from the United Nations. The delivery of life-saving aid and medical supplies to millions of Afghans must not be cut, the UN Health Agency has said, citing a threefold rise in the number of trauma cases. According to the World Health Organization, 70 of the health facilities it supports across Afghanistan treated nearly 14,000 conflict-related cases last month. That compares with only 4,057 cases seen a year ago. Sustained access to humanitarian assistance, including essential health services and medical supplies, is a critical lifeline for millions of Afghans and must not be interrupted, said Dr Ahmed Al-Madari, the WHO Regional Director for the Eastern Mediterranean. The development comes as UN agencies repeated their commitment to stay and deliver assistance to those in need in Afghanistan after the Taliban secured the capital on Sunday. At a press conference in Geneva, UN Children's Fund UNICEF said that 18 million people in the country need aid assistance and one in three children is expected to be severely malnourished this year. Here's the agency's chief of field operations and emergency, Mustafa Ben Masoud, speaking from Kabul on Tuesday. While in Kandahar, seen direct impact of this recent flare infighting, and that direct impact is severely malnourished children have seen injured in such a way um, that it's difficult to describe young children as young as um, 10 months. A UN call for solidarity with the victims of Haiti's catastrophic earthquake now, as Secretary-General Antonio Guterres told the islanders, you are not alone. According to latest reports, the magnitude 7.2 earthquake on the 14th of August killed more than 2,000 people and injured around 12,000. In the worst-hit areas in the southwest of the Caribbean island, few houses are still standing. UN aid coordinating office OCHA reported more than 500,000 people need emergency humanitarian assistance. It noted that two additional humanitarian convoys were scheduled to deliver assistance on Wednesday, including medical supplies and health care, clean water and emergency shelter. OCHA also noted that aid trucks have faced roadblocks erected by communities with unmet needs, while heavy rains from Tropical Storm Grace have hampered deliveries. UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has led a call for UN peacekeepers to fully embrace new technology to respond to ever-changing challenges. Outlining his strategy for the digital transformation of UN peacekeeping, Mr Guterres told the Security Council that 21st century innovations were changing the nature of conflict and having an indelible impact on civilians. The organization's 12 peacekeeping operations already use many digital tools in their daily work, such as unmanned aerial vehicles and online platforms that provide information about the kind of terrain that blue helmets should expect to encounter. But it's essential that this process picks up speed to improve the UN's agility, anticipation and responsiveness to conflicts, Mr Guterres insisted on Wednesday. He added that peace operations should develop clear principles on the use of digital tools and undertake human rights due diligence wherever there is potential for harm. Katie Dartford, UN News. 
Thanks to Katie Dartford for the news there. And now to this week's interview, which comes to us from Guinea, where UN health agency experts are on the ground supporting authorities in keeping the lid on deadly Marburg virus. It's been reported in Gekadu Prefecture in southwest Guinea, and it's the first known case in the country and West Africa. To talk about the prevention measures underway, I spoke to the World Health Organization's representative in Guinea, Dr. George Kizerbo. This is a very significant event that is arising in Guinea uh, for the first time in West Africa also. Marburg virus is a virus from the same family as the virus which causes Ebola. It is usually circulating in animal populations, but sometimes by accident it can be passed to human populations and then from person to person by close contact with body fluids blood or in health setting. So it is an event that is very serious in Guinea, but also in the region because of the cross-border implications with Liberia and Sierra Leone. So what are you doing to stop it? There's been one fatality so far, contact tracing yes, presumably. Uh, yes, the response teams are working at points of entry with Sierra Leone and Liberia. The personnel at the borders have been equipped and trained And also the communities are being engaged because these communities are circulating. There there is a lot of mobility for people going to markets, people going to family events. So uh, there is a sensitization of the community so that they can take all the precautions, especially avoiding uh, touching ill people, avoiding also large gatherings, especially for funerals, which are very, very dangerous events where people can can come into contact with a dead body and then disseminate the infection. Contact tracing is also ongoing. We have 150 contacts, but maybe five considered high risk, which would be monitored for 21 days, which is the maximum period of incubation to make sure that they are not harboring the virus. And 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 can uh, I just jump in there quickly, George? Where are these contacts being monitored? They are in their homes, but isolated from the rest of the families and supported, including with food and other means of hygiene and protective measures so that they can stay at home for 21 days and avoid transmitting the disease further. That sounds very promising. Can we just talk about the potential for confusion of Marburg with Ebola and other diseases and other infections? I mean, how confident are you that it won't be spread because it's not initially easy to diagnose something like Marburg, is it? Yes. I think the message to the community is really any fever, any flu-like syndrome to really consult as soon as possible and be tested. I think this is a key message. Marburg is different from Ebola because there is no known treatment or vaccine so far. So we can only stop it through very, very robust prevention at the community level. And talking about the community, how do you get their trust? Because you're coming in from the outside with the greatest of respect. What does it take to really involve a community in combating something like Marburg? Yes, what we did was really to enroll social anthropologists, but community health workers also, and risk communication staff who are, some of them are from the community. Some of them are actually speaking the same language so they can use that proximity with the community to engage the leaders at the community level, the elders, the women, the young people from the community. 
and pass the messages in a way that can be understood and that is in line with the sociocultural perception of this community. So I think this is something that has worked in the recent Ebola epidemic. We were able to stop transmission in four months, even though there is now another alert in Côte d'Ivoire with a potential epidemiological link with Guinea, but we are investigating that. So really community engagement is a key in these uh, outbreak responses. Talking of Ebola in Guinea and the new Côte d'Ivoire outbreak alert, and not forgetting the 2013-16 to epidemic in Guinea, Sierra Leone and Liberia, has there been any improvement in community engagement since then? Yes, you know, when we declared the end of the Ebola epidemic on 19th of June this year, 2021, actually the community delegated a lady to come and testify, but they now understood what was the importance of their buy-in and their own ownership, actually, of the response. Because at some point, there were some hesitancy, even some hostility in some of the villages. But through community dialogue, which is an approach that our social anthropologists have uh, tested also in DRC and other responses, uh, we were able to engage with that village and, for example, go and present condolences to the families and do the rituals that they expect from friends with them and then start the discussion after that. And George, what's the experience that the World Health Organization has in tackling Marburg in previous epidemics, previous outbreaks? Yes, we have been there in uh, all the outbreaks in, uh, in Africa, in Angola, in um, DRC, and more recently in Uganda, the last few outbreaks were in Uganda 2014 and 2017, but very limited because of the experience developed by WHO in responding. And they were using the same principles as for Ebola. The the only difference is that, again, you have to put almost all the efforts on prevention in the community, infection prevention and control in health facilities, because you do not have proven or licensed vaccines or therapeutics for Marburg so far, which is different for Ebola. Can we just quickly turn to COVID then? How is COVID in Guinea at the moment, in the rural areas in Conakry as well? well Conakry is still the hotspot in Guinea with almost three-fourths of the cases, but it is also spreading in the region, around 100 cases per day, which is a lot compared to some of the periods last year or the end of 2020 and more than three or four deaths per day, which is also a lot because we used to have maybe three deaths a week, but sometimes we have three deaths a day. And in terms of vaccinations, where are you? Around 800,000 people out of a population of maybe, let's say, 12 million have received. So it's maybe 6%. This is even with one dose. So I think the target of the health authorities in Guinea is to reach maybe 10% by September, which is high compared to other African countries and maybe one third of the population by the end of this year. There's a pipeline of vaccines arriving, including the Johnson & Johnson, bought by the government, AstraZeneca and other vaccines from bilateral cooperation also coming. So the UN is supporting that through the COVAX facility and the ABAT African Union facility also. 
My thanks to Dr. George Kizerbo from the World Health Organization for explaining how the UN agency has used its experience in tackling Ebola to work with communities to overcome deadly virus outbreaks together. Now it's time for some closing thoughts from Solange Berhategui-Cortez. Hi Solange, I know you found a great literary coincidence linked to this story, so let's hear it. Hola Daniel. Yes, do you remember the story of the Pied Piper? The town was infested with rats and villagers hired a piper to get rid them with his magic flute. But when the rats were gone, the citizens refused to pay him and in revenge, the piper lured away the children with his flute, leading them away as he had had the rats. The story, based on a German legend, was written by the brothers Grimm. They both went to the university in Marburg, Germany. Yes, Marburg. The virus, cousin of Ebola, took its name from the village. In 1967, an outbreak was reported for the first time among animal laboratory workers in Marburg and elsewhere in Europe. The current global crisis has shown us how vulnerable our societies are and at the same time it acts as a wake-up call. It is time to pay the piper. There is no magic solution. Viruses, any virus, don't just magically disappear. Dr. Key Zerbo from the World Health Organization said that we need to stop the Marburg virus in its tracks. And that means that we must all fight it together. Sadly, there is no vaccine for Marburg virus, or at least not yet. But there is regional and international solidarity. At a press conference here in Geneva, the UN Health Agency said that on Saturday 14 August, Côte d'Ivoire had declared its first Ebola outbreak in more than 25 years. And do you know, it was Guinea that sent thousands of vaccines to their neighbor, Côte d'Ivoire. We cannot leave our future in the hands of magic flutes when we can have vaccines and other simple measures to keep these dangerous diseases at bay. For no reason we should be charmed or enchanted to follow the Pied Pipers of misinformation. Thank you very much for that literary sign-off. It is a sobering reminder and warning that fake news is as old as the hills. The UN has the verified campaign to fight misinformation. And if you want more details, then please just log on to unnews.org and search for verified. Have a good week, Solange. A good week to you listeners. Thank you for joining us. Stay safe. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye for now. Chao, hasta el próximo viernes. Hello again. Before I sign off, here's news of a brand new audio series you might like. It's the UN Climate Podcast, No Denying It. It features young climate changemakers from across our warming planet who show us how we can make a positive impact in our daily lives. Listen in wherever you get your podcasts every Thursday from the 26th of August. 
young people from the first time in several centuries. They don't believe that their life will be better than their father's. There's no denying it. Stopping climate change is simple. We need to stop digging up fossil fuels and burning them just to get energy. Our current climate crisis is directly linked to colonization when we think of colonization as a system that's always thinking about extraction. It's hard to focus on individual rights or our wealth inequality if literally they can't breathe the air or there's fires pushing them out of their communities or their home. Quitting our addiction to fossil fuels is going to take solutions in every industry, at every scale, in every nation on the planet. It's not because of CO2. It's because we approached the planet with an unbalanced worldview. And so, of course, eventually, the world became unbalanced. So if we can take some lessons and teachings from indigenous cultures, if we as individuals can hold a balanced view in our minds, then it's just a matter of time before the world balances as well. Our vision is to be able to replicate this process in every part of the world that there is sea and fishermen. It made you understand your place better, made you feel really humble and want to work a lot to preserve the well-being of this plant that has existed so many ages. No denying it, the UN Climate Action Podcast brings you the voices of young climate changemakers from across our warming planet. These activists, engineers, and entrepreneurs show us how we can make big changes in our homes, our jobs, where we vote and pray, and with our family and friends. I believe everyone is put in this world for a purpose. And my purpose was always to create a dent in the universe by impacting the environment space. That is my purpose. We all have to start somewhere, but the important thing is to get started. There's no denying it. Find No Denying It, the United Nations Climate Action Podcast, wherever you listen.